welcome to What Is It About the Weather, where weather is always our theme, but the weather, well, we'll probably pass on that, maybe. I think we'll pass on that, not talk about it too much. This week we're going to be talking about weather and its connection to big data, a technology topic. I've been promising it for a while, and we're going to dig into it in a big way. We're going to talk about big data. But let me say before we jump into the main topic that I hope you've had an enjoyable and an interesting and an intertwined weather week and maybe saw weather in a new light that you hadn't thought about how it impacts what you do in kind of a new way, something new, something different, some new connection for you. I know I had the pleasure in this last week of being on a, another weather-related podcast called The Weather Junkies. That's J-U-N-K-I-E-S. Now, it's hosted by a couple of uh, Penn State undergrad graduates, and one has gone on to be a broadcast meteorologist in the New England area, and the other is out studying atmospheric science in Colorado. So a couple different perspectives, and while they hit a lot more weather probably than I do. They also hit some kind of non-weather topics. So go over there, listen, certainly listen to the episode I was on. But even if you're not a, you know, full-time into the weather thing, I think you'll find some other topics that, that they've covered that you will find interesting. National parks, the importance of science education, et cetera. So give them a listen. Certainly links will be in the show notes. You can find them on YouTube, their web page, iTunes, all the same places, right? On the flip side of that enjoyable event, I've been having technology craziness and, you know, it's one of those mad moments where I just wanted to pick it all up and toss it out the window. Fortunately, fortunately, the weather's been cooperating. Cooler weather, full moons, right? Some neat cloud formations, all that kind of stuff. So I've had some nice viewing outside, which has certainly been a nice stress relief given all the technology mayhem I've been dealing with in the past week. You know, I don't say that lightly. Most of you know that. I mean, I love tech and I find it, it it improves our life quite a bit, which is why we're going to do an episode about it. But man, was it just one of those weeks. And I'm, I'm thankful that most of the things that were causing headaches have, have resolved or found answers or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I was ready to step away from modern technology for a little while and just enjoy the the sheer nature aspects of weather. All right, but let's jump into a technology topic because, you know, it's just not been enough if I don't jump into that, right? And we're going to be talking about weather and big data. Now, the reason we're going to be talking about weather and big data is because for the last year and a half or so, I've been asked many times again and again and again, why would IBM buy the weather company? Now, for some of you, it will be obvious. And for others, even within the weather enterprise, yeah, you've probably thought about and figured it out. But for a lot of people, you know, it just, they don't see the logical connection. And big data is going to be a common theme there. But let's kind of step back for a moment. First, I need to give a disqualifying statement. I have in the past, been many years, worked for IBM. I know people that have worked for IBM for many years, some of which I went to college with many, many years ago, some of which I went to college with in grad school, some who have started with IBM in just the last few months, some that were part of IBM's acquisition of the weather company. However, 
in every single case, I have not sought out or spoken to any of my IBM connections about this topic, specifically because I didn't want to compromise or make them feel uncomfortable or compromise them in any way. So do know that while I have some IBM background many, 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 many years ago, although I guess no, Lenovo makes all the products I think that I have IBM in front of me here, use their products, know the company, know people, but I, I've tried to provide a perspective that I think this is really, this is my opinion. And while there's some other people that probably have written about and think similar to me, it, it's certainly not anything I've talked about with any IBMer. So just know that. So weather and big data, why would IBM buy the weather company? We're going to get to making that connection, but Let's talk a little bit about just kind of weather and technology. You know, we've hit on some of these things before, but it's important to remember that weather and technology kind of have that symbiotic relationship. I mean, even back in the, I think it was like the 1920s, there's a great book that was written about this topic before there were physical computers, you know, or electronic computers, I guess there were abacuses and everything else that was available, slide rules, et cetera. But it was an interesting book written, um, and there will be a link in the show notes, about the concept of the idea of having a human computer that would make calculations. And numerical weather prediction was kind of born out of that. One of the early computers, the ENIAC, it, a primary project that it undertook was numerical weather prediction. And so... Technology's evolved, it's improved weather forecast, weather models are updated, push the equipment to the next phase or the technology to the next phase. So it goes back and forth and we, we have this back and forth. But one of the big words now, buzzwords now, of course, in technology is big data. And this to me is the logical connection to IBM. And let's kind of maybe define what big data? So, you've heard the term. Everybody by now has probably heard the term big data, and it's very logical to think about big data as truly being data. But big data is not just about storage capacity, as an example. And I've just so you know, there's there's a variety of things, and I'll put links in the show notes to one kind of primer on big data. But I don't want to get too hung up into defining big data. You know, I've heard it quantified in the five V's and the six C's. I think what it's important to remember with it is big data, it, it, your natural tendency is to think of it maybe as a noun. You know, that's that it's this data that exists somewhere, but it's much more than that. It's, it's really a life cycle. It's about the ability to process large amounts of data and analyze large amounts of data in ways that we couldn't traditionally do it. So part of that is the storage, right? If you can't store the data in in a computer format, you certainly can't analyze it with a computer. If you can't transport it between computers via things like the Internet, it certainly makes it hard, even if you have the data available, to easily analyze it in different locations, okay? And... The data through the analysis component is much more 
it's, you know, it's kind of like synergy, right? It's, it's more than the value of its, its individual parts. It's value is in what you can do with it. Right. And you, you don't have to think about big data in a blind. Th- I mean, think about a Netflix. Netflix is a big data issue. It's a different type of big data issue, but they deliver streaming movies to you. Right. And they're now pushing that envelope and trying to go to higher resolution things. All these streaming services are. But they need big data to store these things. They need the technology that allows you to take something in one format and put it to another. You need a method of delivering it. Now, where it may fall short is some of the analyzing, but even if you could argue that they're suggestive things or analyzing what you're doing with the data. Now, it's not necessarily analyzing big data because that analyzing process is a little little smaller, but it's a big, a big data type problem, okay? So I think there's probably three key points that you should walk away with when you're thinking about big data. So, granularity is the key word in all of them. Essentially, big data allows the following. It allows more granular inputs, okay? It allows more granular outputs, and it allows more granular analysis. But all that said, as I mentioned, it's important also not to lose sight of the fact that if, yes, the computer that takes in a certain amount of data, as long as it has storage, can output it. But if you don't have a way to get it to another source that can do the analysis, even as that computer, if you can't get that analysis easy to people that can use it, it becomes unimportant. So it's all intertwined together. So even though I think those three things are kind of key, there's still that communication element. That's why I said you can get into these other models. But for what we're talking about here, those are really the three key elements that, that we need to keep in mind. So where are we going with the data inputs? And, and what does that matter when it comes to weather and big data? Well, I, I alluded to this in a past episode that when you think about a cell phone and everybody around the world carrying a cell phone now, quite often your cell phone, your mobile, depending on what part of the world you're in in terms of what you might call it, that device quite often has weather-related capacity to take in things like temperature, humidity, atmospheric pressure. So it's like you're carrying around a little weather station. And to that end, though, personal weather stations have even become more prominent and more available And so more and more people are installing those around the globe, and they've also gotten cheaper to make and manufacture. So it's been become easier for governments or people working with governments, non-GEOs, NGOs around the world started to say it, and then I gave you the acronym at the same time. But they can work together to install these devices around the globe to give you, you know, set location information. And even satellites, you know, we did, uh, you heard me talk about the Gozar, and that's a big, sophisticated satellite. But there's a lot of talk about having little, smaller satellites that would provide higher, you know, they would stay in a certain area and only focus on a certain area, but higher concentration of data elements. 
for measuring these things. But even imagine this. Okay, so as some of you may know now, and not not everyone does, around the globe twice a day, weather balloons are, are launched. Now, the U.S. has the highest concentration of these. Europe has certainly has a lot. But you get into other areas where it's more scattered. But two times a day, that's it. So in terms of really measuring non-kind of ground-level information, yeah, we can get some of that thing by planes now, which helps. But they tend to have certain flight patterns. Imagine if certain times of the day drones went up in the air, not just weather balloons, but drones went up in the air to a certain elevation. Okay, Certainly don't want them to run in planes, but it, it, it affects locations all over the globe and can measure data. And, you know, could all come back to the same location, maybe where weather balloons are launched and be redistributed another time. So we're getting into the day and age. Some of these things exist. The cell phones exist. Cheaper weather stations exist. Weather satellites exist. Where we're also taking the evolution the next step. More satellite coverage. Potential use of drones and other technologies like that that might give us access to levels that are not at at Earth's location or at the planetary level, you know, not where we walk sort of thing. And those pieces of data are hugely important in weather forecasting, okay? Understanding what the weather's going to be like down the road is a lot more predicated on what's happening far away from us. And having good measurements of that data is extremely important. So being able to get more of it, having it validated, having more readings, having higher accuracy of those readings are all an important piece of the equation. So that's that's the input and in what's driving some of this big data. Some of these already exist. Some of these we're already starting to ingest. Some of these are starting to produce data. Others will start adding more data to the mix. So we're already putting more data in, right? So more data points. Now the outputs... One of the challenges always with weather forecasting models, everybody, you know, for people that don't understand this, when a general weather forecast model produces an output, you know, it could be tens to even hundreds of, of kilometers or miles between actual data points, right? So w- when you see these nice little graphics that give you weather, so, and some of the resolution has gotten tighter, but when you are watching your local weather forecast and you see your little area and you you know your mind wants to say that's my point and that point has a weather forecast but the reality is that that data was likely interpreted based on four grid points around you that may be miles away from or kilometers away from where you are and sometimes that's okay right sometimes that works out fine but in rapidly evolving weather situations that's not going to give you the resolution of of information that you need for a forecast to be as accurate as it might be. Of course, more storage, and as storage has gotten cheaper, I mean, just think about it now. Think about all these little things we care. Your phone, I mean, you put a little mini SD card in there, and it can hold 128 gigabytes. I mean, some days it's hard for me to even think. Back when I was going through undergrad, and... 20 megabyte hard drives were coming out. I mean, so it just, it blows the mind to think that this little chip that cost a fraction of what that hard drive cost back when I was in school can hold gigabytes of data and, you know, basically just dwarf any hard drive from back in the day. 
it's also important to realize and think about more storage, of course, equals more data, right? But it also allows for more variables to be stored and saved. One of the challenges we always have with even weather models is quite often the models are run and we can't keep a significant amount of that history because it's not cost effective. So evolving and verifying and moving forward and improving can be challenged by the fact that we don't have the data over time or have easy access to it. Sometimes there might be a single repository, but being able to spread that out. And, you know, you, we talk about even like the internet. If you've never gone to the Wayback Machine, might be something fun to do in a, another time if you're in a tech mood, right? But this idea of storing the internet is, it's an interesting idea, but we in the weather enterprise think the same thing about data. If I just had access to all this data, when I go to do some analysis, it would make a tremendous difference because as I mentioned before, numerical weather prediction, while the, the models evolve, there's a lot of times post-processing that's done and that post-processing is dependent on understanding how the model thinks and understanding how the model thinks means being able to look at what it said before when it spit out a forecast. So the more of that data we can have, the more variables at different levels and all those things that we can store, the better the forecast will be. And that gets to the next thing, which is this more granular analysis. So what do we want fundamentally, right? We, we want better forecast. And there's different ways of, of thinking about that. You know, we talked about resolution and certainly having higher resolution will, will be a piece of that equation. But you've also heard me talk about, and I even had someone post a comment on a YouTube video in the last week um, about, don't give me the odds, just give me a forecast. But you've heard me say that, that you really do want odds. We've just got to figure out a better way to communicate it to you if you don't want odds. But one of the challenges today is weather forecasts, because they're, they are dynamical in nature and small perturbations in data, even as we get more granular, there's always going to be these little things that can trigger a different response. And the more ensembles that we have that we can run, and this is a function of A, having the space for data, B, having the capacity to process that data, so it's, it's about the computers themselves, and C, being able to output all these things in a meaningful time frame and get them to you, the more of those we can do, the better the forecast is going to be, the more understanding we can place around uncertainty. You may Again, everybody wants their meteorologist to say it's going to be, you know, X degrees tomorrow and it is or is it going to rain. And what if most of the time they could tell you that with a reasonable certainty and then only give you uncertainty when it was particularly important? And maybe that is the way to go. I don't know. I think it depends on location and you know, who the consumer of that forecast is. But if you think about it from that standpoint, Having the ensemble so that the forecaster, whether that forecaster is technology itself, a computer generating a forecast, or a human interpreter, they can better help quantify for you when that uncertainty is particularly important. And understanding the uncertainty envelope and how much is going on helps in that communication process. And as I was saying before, you've also got this the statistics that come with it. So much of the limitations of the dynamics of the model and and you know that may be a while before that changes even with big data understand the statistics which is you know one of the things that I was actively involved in for many years we so often had to limit ourselves 
based on one or two variables. Like to improve temperature, you use temperature performance, like I said, of, of the how the model does in the past, as an example, of where it's going to make errors. But in the world of improved big data, you have the opportunity to use other variables or think about other ways. Because as we all know, how your area is on a cloudy day versus how it is on a sunny day, you notice those differences. Well, but it also impacts how the model might create a forecast. And so understanding if the model thinks one way when it's sunny and thinks another way when it's cloudy is a useful piece of statistical information that can be used to enhance a forecast and, el and eliminate the biases that model might have. So all in all, all these things, you know, being able to do this analysis, being able to do it more timely and get you a forecast in a timely manner are, are all the key components. So the, the problem of big data, not just the physical storage, but the processing of big data, the communicating of big data, the analyzing of big data are all pieces to that equation. And this is, you know, we, we come full circle and get back to the really the crux of the IBM thing, which is, and the better analysis. So you could think about, and, and anybody who thinks about IBM traditionally would think, well, IBM's been involved in all those things and can imagine how IBM would be involved in solving some of those problems. But one of the other things to keep in mind that's important with IBM is IBM's evolved over time. You know, many people think of IBM as being the big mainframe computer companies. Others, a PC company. Others, a server company. Others, a services company. Others, a big data company. Others, you know, you've heard a lot about Watson, right? Or probably have. And what they're doing with Watson, and you've heard about, you know, what they've done in Jeopardy, you know, games like Jeopardy or, or taking on chess masters and those sort of things. But, you know, what the whole concept but behind all this is, is taking that data output from one conceptual area, like a weather forecast, which was difficult enough the process to begin with, and turning it into analytical information that then can be used by other parties. And that's where you get into the better analysis. By having all those things I mentioned with more data elements, more outputs, and then having the ability to take all those different outputs and viably connect them to how people are going to behave, how disasters might come about, how people respond to disasters, the timing and the ability to respond to those things, as well as how we respond in business, right? So, you know, but let, let's keep some general thoughts about the business world and weather in mind. So each year around the globe, over $100 billion is of damages occur due to natural events. Now, again, things get thrown in there like tsunamis and other things, but a lot of that is weather-oriented. And I saw another statistic that 33% of the worldwide, worldwide gross domestic product, or GDP, is impacted by the weather. And while I haven't been able to understand exactly where this company got that data point, it's a company called Weather Analytics. They're quoted a few times. You can Google it if you want. And while I may not know if that's 100% valid, they've done some analysis that suggests it's easy to understand how that might be the case when you think about weather's impact on agriculture, weather's impact on energy, weather's impact on transportation, on insurance, on emergency management. Okay, much less retail. 
So when you think about all those elements, it's easy to understand how it's not just about the weather forecast, but what you do with the weather forecast and the ability to do it, in a, again, in a timely way. So it's big data upon big data. And you start to appreciate that the IBM view and the use of Watson and the doing the analysis is much more than analyzing the weather. Sure, that's a piece of it. Okay. But think about it this way. So IBM bought the weather company, right? And you go, well, again, why the weather company? The interesting thing might not be because the weather company is uniquely qualified in general generating weather forecast. They do some forecasting elements, but a lot of what they used were weather forecasting models that many other agencies around the world use. But they had a very important element that most other companies don't have. One, they have brands that consumers all over the globe are familiar with, whether it's the Weather Channel, whether it's Weather Underground, or on the business side, a big entity known as WSI, which is the largest global entity dealing with weather in the commercial space. So if you think about it from those perspectives, not only did they get expertise in dealing with weather models and its outputs, and to some extent developing around those weather models and outputs, they also have the relationships and the brands associated with the people that consume weather data and use it in whatever ever way that you want to look at it to drive their behavior, and that can be purchasing behavior, it can be risk avoidance behavior or mitigation behavior, or it could just be fundamentally what you're going to go, when you're going to go buy ice cream, right? So, and today it makes a lot of sense that IBM would be in that space given where their focus is right now in their business in trying to use this Watson technology and deep thinking technology to perform the analytics that aren't so you aren't thinking so much about what is the weather forecast per se as much as what am I going to do with that weather information and somebody taking that next step and potentially giving you that piece of information. So now I do think it's you know important to say that this doesn't come without challenges, right? That there's real challenges. You know, we talked about the equipment, whether it's be cell phones or whatever else. They're going to have to work to understand consistency issues with ingesting all that data, variances in the equipment, usability of the different data elements. But, you know, those are those are problems to tackle. And it will take time to tackle them. This is not going to be like magically overnight. IBM is going to give you every forecast you ever wanted. But it's an intriguing step. And IBM is not the only company that's gotten into the game or getting into the game as weather being a big data problem, and we're finally being able to grapple these big data problems, becomes a reality of how we can evolve weather forecasts to not just be a weather forecast, but to be a life or a business forecast and truly be actionable in a consistent way down to very granular levels for different people, locations, and organization types. So there you go. Weather and big data, interesting history, interesting future.
IBM has the potential to be a player in that. We'll see where it goes. So, enough about technology. You know me, I could have talked for days, but again, holiday season, you're probably shopping. You don't want to listen to me talk about technology. You probably had enough of it, too. There was an interesting tidbit I wanted to throw out, though. You know, I mentioned the history of numerical weather prediction. Again, I'll put a link in the the show notes where I think you should go back in because there's, it is, it's kind of a good book to to go and look at um, some of the pages. Some of it is just math and it can be, you know, way overwhelming. But but again, a couple good summary podcast, um, like a page on Noah and that sort of thing. But that book um, was written by a British mathematician called Lewis Fry Richardson. And one of the things he hypothesized, as I mentioned, was this human computer. I think the interesting tidbit in that is his model estimated 64,000 humans essentially sitting in a room working together to do all the calculations around the globe for the forecast. So just keep that in mind. Can you imagine like having a, you know, a huge convention center just full of people every day coming in and they would be responsible for their little grid point of doing their calculations? Kind of a neat thought. Um, and there's some artistic um, projections of this in, in a couple of the websites I'll send. So take a look at that. All right. Next couple of weeks, snow or no snow, and then we'll get in the new year. And we'll see where things go from there in terms of what episodes. I haven't spun all that out and thought it all out in my head, but we're, we're definitely going to be on the white stuff for the next for the next couple of weeks to get us through the end of the year. All right, so let's wrap it up. You know how to reach me. What is it about the weather at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form at whatisaboutTheWeather.com. So either way, the website certainly has more information if you want to get it about listening, supporting, following, whatever it might be. You can get all that stuff at the website. And, of course, on that support note, you know the drill. RSVP, rate, share, validate, and pledge. But importantly, enjoy the holiday season. So until next time, until next time, when we do talk about the white stuff that, you know, if you're in the northern hemisphere, might be relevant this time of year, may you have an enjoyable and intertwined weather week because, you know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather. This is a two-white super production.